Uh, when I was growing up, evangelism was about proving that Christianity was true. Uh, so Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict was popular. Frank Morrison's Who Moved a Stone? Uh, people were concerned with questions like, did Jesus really exist? Is there evidence for the resurrection? And so books like these uh, spelled out things uh, which gave evidence for the, the truths of Christianity that we believe. Uh, but gradually, uh, this philosophy, this way of thinking about the world called postmodernism took over from uh, mod what was called modernism. Uh, and modernism focused on objective truth, what was definite, what could be proved. But gradually, those uh, questions became less important to people. And so what matters for most people out in the world these days is, uh, does Christianity work? Not is it true, but is it true for you? Does your life actually work because of Christianity? And for a long time, the Christian church, I think, dismissed postmodernism because one of the things they teach is that truth is relative, that morality is relative, uh, that an extreme position will say there is no such thing as right and wrong. There, there is no right or wrong. But I want to suggest that increasingly uh, we should be realising that postmodernism is not our enemy. Uh, people who are influenced by postmodernism, and that's almost everybody in Western culture, uh, is ask, are, they're asking questions about Christianity like these. Does it make your life better? Does it work? Not is it true, but does it work for you? Is there a consistency in your life between what you believe with your head and how you live? Now, they're great questions, aren't they? They're questions that should challenge us. In other words, they're asking, is the Christian life authentic? So, in a sense, I think postmodernism is doing the church a favour. Because people out there have no time for hypocrites. No time for people who say they're Christian but whose lives are just like everybody else. We've seen that, haven't we, over the last 30, 40 years. Christians who, or people who preach about marital faithfulness or tolerance and love for others or generosity but then they live out something different. And I think, understandably, the world has no time for people like that. So it's a good question that postmodernism is asking us. Is the Christian life authentic? How authentic is your Christian life? How well does your practice measure up to your belief? And what should an authentic Christian even look like? What is the evidence that God is at work in the life of someone? Now, those are the questions 2 Corinthians 3 is answering for us. The, Christian church, uh, the Corinthian church was facing the problem of identifying authentic Christianity from counterfeit Christianity. Today, we're in a much better position to be able to identify the fakes from what's real. Most importantly, we've got the Bible. We've got libraries full of books about Christianity and the Christian life. We've got the internet, which <laughs> sometimes good and sometimes not so good. But we have older Christians who have lived it for decades and who can warn us. 
But in Corinth, there was none of that. They, they had no Bible. They only had the Old Testament. Perhaps they had a copy of a, a couple of Paul's letters. And the most mature Christians amongst them was no more than three years old as a Christian. They were in real danger from falling for the outrageous claims of false teachers, people who were teaching a counterfeit Christianity. Like most places Paul visited, to me it seems like, as I read 2 Corinthians, that they were teaching a form of Judaism. And we see this Judaism sort of bubbling up through today's chapter. They were preaching this sort of melding of Christianity and Old Testament law-keeping. And their argument probably went something like this. Judaism, it's established, it's proven, it's tried and true. Paul's message, newfangled, untested. And then they pointed the finger at Paul's lifestyle. Suffering, persecution... He doesn't arrive when he says he'll arrive. He's unprofessional and unreliable and weak. And so who is right? As Paul comes to write this chapter, there are questions uh, swirling around about what is an authentic Christian? How can you tell a fake from the real thing? Now, what makes it even more difficult for Paul was that the imposters came with references Uh, they turned up at Corinth with these letters of recommendation. This teacher's genuine, his teaching is really good. Signed, the church at such and such. Now that's what's behind what Paul says there in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 3, and I'm hoping your Bibles are open and I can hear some pages turning or or see some eyes looking down. Verse 1 says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you. Now Paul's trying to defend himself. They're accusing him of being a fake because uh, he doesn't have references. But what Paul will go on to say is that his mark of authenticity, it's not a letter, it's the reality of his work. Uh, that's the evidence. Paul's marks of authenticity, they're actually the Christ- it's actually the Christians themselves. Look at verse 2. You yourselves are our letter. You're our reference. Written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. See, Paul has proved that he is authentic because of the authenticity of the Corinthians' life. That's his fruit. Uh, The church was growing and maturing. God's spirit uh, only works through genuine gospel workers. Verse 3, he says, You are the result of our ministry, written with the spirit of the living God. God is at work through Paul. And so I guess this begs the question, do you bear the marks of authenticity of God's spirit? Can other people see it? Are you a letter of recommendation for Jesus? Has the Spirit of the living God written himself across your heart in a way that people can see? Is he obvious from your priorities, from the things you love, the things that you consider worthless? Is he obvious in your speech? Is he obvious in the way you treat people? When someone looks at you, will they say, 
Christianity works. What about us as a church? What do visitors think? Is this a place where they see authenticity? People who live what they sing. Our church vision, hopefully you can vaguely remember it. It wasn't that long ago we were looking at it. Our church vision is that we will be a church through which God is transforming his people and his world. Now that's fine to say that, but it's got to look like something, doesn't it? Transforming is not just about inside. We've actually got to look like something. And so when Session approved this, we added seven applications. It will look like, if we're doing this, it's going to look like these seven things. This will mean we're a church where God is loved and worshipped as king. Uh, Two, we are warm and inviting and connect newcomers into our community. If God is transforming us, three, we will joyfully give up what we have for others. If God is transforming us, we will devote ourselves to fellowship, prayer and hospitality. Five, we'll be deliberately and daily shaped by God's word. Six, we'll be engaged and serving. Everyone will be serving within the church in some capacity. And seventhly, we'll have an impact on the world around us and we'll be growing through conversion. That's what it's going to look like. If God is at work transforming us, there will be marks of authenticity about us as a church. Well, back to Paul's argument. Uh, He said that the Corinthian church is is his letter of recommendation. Uh, They bear the marks of, of being genuine. And then he goes on to describe in more detail his own ministry. And as he does, he he gives a number of uh, tests of being authentic. And as we work through the list, I want to dedicate it to to two sorts of people. Firstly, if you're a Christian, uh, this is dedicated to you. These marks of authenticity are God's wonderful gifts for you to take hold of and experience. So as we work through this list, rejoice in what God has given you and take hold of them. Thank him that that you haven't been tricked into any of the counterfeit Christianities that uh, are out there in the world. Uh, Secondly, perhaps you're not yet a Christian. If that's you, then this is dedicated to you as well. Listen carefully. Uh, Consider them. Are these the sorts of things that are attractive to you, that, that would be good things for you to have in your life? And if you answer yes to any of that, then then come and see me and I'd love to introduce you to them. So, first mark of authentic Christianity is there in verses 3 to 6, God gets the credit. Verse 5, Paul says, not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, our competence comes from God. He has made us competent. Paul recognises there's nothing about his own abilities, his own qualifications, his own efforts, Any success comes from God. And so when leaders in church, churches want to take all the attention, when they want to take the credit, when they want people to follow them rather than follow Jesus, when the leaders insist that they're right and everyone else is wrong, 
that should send warning bells off in your head. Genuine Christianity recognises that God is the one who grows people. God builds churches. God guides and directs. God produces fruit. God converts. Now that's wonderful, isn't it? For me it's wonderful because it takes the pressure off me as one of the leaders of the church. There's a wonderful comfort and encouragement in that. It's not all about me. It's not all about the leaders. Success does not rest solely on our shoulders. Authentic Christianity gives the glory to God. The second mark of authentic Christianity is uh, God's spirit is producing life rather than death. Second part of verse 6, he says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now here's where I think we get a little hint about the false teaching. Paul is comparing his message, the good news of forgiveness in Jesus, with the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Uh, Commandments written on stone tablets, uh, sacrifices, food laws, washing, circumcision, which you had to keep completely, perfectly, all the time. And if you didn't, it meant judgment and death. That was the old. But instead, authentic Christianity proclaims forgiveness, life, eternal life. Not just life that will continue once your physical life ends, but a rich, full life that begins now, that is tainted with the flavour of eternity today. That's what eternal life is. You can experience now. And it only comes from God's Spirit. Number two. Number three, closely tied up with life is the next mark of authenticity or authentic Christianity, uh, righteousness. Paul compares in the next paragraph, he keeps comparing the old covenant, the Old Testament with the new, and he bases it on this story about Moses uh, that we had read for us from Exodus 34. Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God, and God gives him the Ten Commandments for the second time. Uh, And and when Moses comes back down to talk uh, to the people, his face shone with the glory of God. And Paul says in verse 7 that if the Ten Commandments and everything that went with them came with glory in that Moses' face shone, and, and those things only result in death, then how much more glorious is Christianity? Look at verse 9, he says... If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? The Old Testament just condemns people as guilty. But in Jesus, God declares people innocent, righteous, forgiven, accepted, the opposite of condemnation and guilt. Not something we earn, a gift from God through the perfect obedience of Jesus. He keeps the law for us. Now that's glorious, Paul says. That's glorious. Glorious in that it reflects God's goodness and purity and light. Authentic Christianity rejoices in righteousness, in the gift of an innocent verdict before a holy God. A verdict that could never come 
as we try to obey the Old Testament. Now, that's what's different about Christianity, not just compared to Judaism, but with every other religion. Whatever the religion, it's about going through life with a set of rules and a set of scales that you, you have to weigh up your good deeds and your bad deeds. And you hope that in the end, the good will outweigh the bad. And God, however you define him, will accept you into eternity. But Christianity is saying a gift of righteousness comes that you can never earn. Now, if that's true, if you believe that, then authentic Christianity is going to, that's going to reflect something in your life. It, it's, your life will be consistent with that truth. If you believe that you are righteous in God's sight, there's going to be a joy, isn't there? There's, there's going to be a humility. You've got something that you, you can't earn, you don't deserve. If you believe you've got a righteousness before God, it's going to give you a new freedom to live. It's going to give you a power to love and accept other people the way that you've been loved. There will be a lack of worry in your life about the future, about death, about illness, about all sorts of things because you know God accepts you. If you truly believe that you are righteous before God, it's going to give you an urgency to share that news with other people. That's what authentic Christianity will look like. Uh, fourthly, the Old Testament system fades away. Verse 11, uh, it's got an inbuilt obsolescence from God. It's got an expiry date. But the new covenant in Jesus lasts forever. Now, once again, Moses thinks about, uh, sorry, Paul thinks about Moses when he met God and his face shone. But it didn't actually last, it, it faded away. In fact, verse 13 describes how, how Moses actually covered his face, and, and we don't see this in Exodus, but, but Paul hints at uh, Moses' um, reasons why he hid his face by suggesting it was to disguise the fact that his face was fading. So verse 13 says, We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. There was something shameful about the fact that an encounter with God expired, or, or the, the, the glory of that uh, encounter expired. And Paul points to that and he says that's, that's the whole Old Testament. The whole Old Covenant that Moses brought was fading glory, uh, temporary, designed to be replaced and superseded. But verse 11 talks about Christianity has a glory that lasts. Uh, verse 11, And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts, continues, abides, remains? The promises of God in Christ will never be superseded. There'll, no, there'll never be salvation mark two or mark three. Science will never disprove God's promises. A new religion will never come along and replace Jesus. The work of Jesus was one event, but its effectiveness lasts forever. Across all history, 
There'll be no updates, no product recalls, no second editions, no renovation, no updates required. Now, if you believe that, authentic Christianity is going to look like something. Paul goes on to say the fifth mark of authenticity is you will be bold. Look at verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, you believe something, it's got to look like something. We are very bold. Christians don't have a a self-confidence. We're we're not egotistical. Christians have a saviour confidence, not a self-confidence. Christians have a confidence not in our works, but in Jesus' work. Our boldness is not rude presumption, but confident trust. Bold prayer. Have you ever had one of your non-Christian friends say to you, oh, I've got this problem, could you pray for me? And I've heard lots of people say, well, I'll just tell them that they can pray as well. I think, which in a sense is true, but, but I think we take for granted, don't we, the, the, the confidence we can have in prayer? Uh, lots of people don't have it. Confident prayer, uh, bold worship, rejoicing in what we've been given, bold obedience. I can sacrificially obey because God is going to work for my good. Obedience is going to cost me, but that's all right. We can be very bold. That's authentic Christianity. Sixth, clarity, not uncertainty. He says in verse 13, he compares Moses again, and he says, we're not like Moses. Moses covered his face. The people had to stay away. Only Moses got to approach God. But Paul says Christianity is not like that. Verse 16, but when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In other words, God has revealed himself to us. We're not separated from him. He's revealed himself to us in his word, the Bible, in his son, Jesus. He gives us his spirit. We can know what he's like. We can see him clearly. More clear than the Old Testament. More clear than false teachers. Uh, Paul says in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus himself said that if you have seen him, you've seen the Father. There is a clarity in who God is when we look at Jesus. But not just see him, know him. Have a relationship with him. We can approach him. We can be in a real living relationship with our Saviour. Other religions and cults just don't get that. They don't understand it. What an incredible privilege that comes. Uh, not because we've managed to fight our way and uh, discover a secret or we're smarter or better than someone else, but God has bridged the gap. We can know him. Authentic Christianity is about clarity, not uncertainty. A seventh, authentic Christianity is about freedom, not slavery. Verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What's freedom? Well, just look back over what we've looked at in this chapter. Verse 6, God's Spirit gives life. 
Verse 8, the ministry of the Spirit brings righteousness before God. Which means, verse 12, we can have boldness. Verse 15, we can have clarity. I think all of those things bundled up are what it means for us to be free. Released from guilt and death. Released from judgement and uncertainty and fear. Released into boldness and joyful obedience. Living the way we were designed. Knowing our future, knowing our creator, knowing our saviour. Living authentically. That's freedom. Uh, The final mark of authentic Christianity is there in verse 18. Growing more like Christ. Once again, Paul's thinking back to the story of Moses. His face faded. Days or weeks, we don't really know. But eventually it was back to normal. But the Christian life is the opposite of that. When Christians come into contact with Jesus, look at verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. Do you hear the echoes of the Moses story there? We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Little by little, as we follow Jesus, as we submit to his kingship daily and deliberately, as we join with one another in accountability to study his word and pray for each other in small groups, we begin to reflect him. Our character becomes a little more like his. Our attitude to people and things become a little more like Jesus. The way we speak, the way we think, reflects more and more Jesus. You may have to take that on faith sometimes. You may not see it week by week as you look at your life, but hopefully you will see it year by year. Even if it does seem like it was two steps forward and one step back, or two steps back and one step forward. And maybe others may be seeing it in you more easily than you can see it in yourself. Little by little, God's Spirit is at work making us more even-tempered, more self-controlled, less selfish, with a greater prayer life, greater consistency, greater joy, greater contentment, greater peace. Transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, that is a mark of authentic Christianity. Now there are probably times when you wonder about the truth of that, when it seems like you're not reflecting Jesus at all, when that same sin seems to drag you back. But don't forget, it's not about your performance. It's God's Spirit who is working in you. He is slowly but surely working, polishing, rubbing the rough edges off, ever increasing glory. One day he'll complete the job. There'll be no more sin and you'll be perfected. Well, those are Paul's marks of authenticity. I wonder how you went as you uh, listened to that, that list. If you are a Christian, this list is dedicated to you. It's God's gifts. Uh, Rejoice. Praise him for his gifts. Be bold. 
Be authentic. Live out what you've been given. If you're not yet a Christian, this is a list for you as well. It's an invitation, really. Is it an attractive list, something that you would want in your life? God promises these things as a gift, offered for free. You just need to take it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray uh, that, well, we thank you firstly for these wonderful gifts that come to us by your Spirit, through your Son. Uh, Lord, for those of us who are Christians, help us to live these truths out. Help us to be authentic. Help us to be bold. Help us to be humble. Uh, Help us to be loving and considerate and gentle and passionate. Uh, Lord, for those who are not yet Christian, we pray that you would be at work in their hearts as well. Might they see uh, the goodness of these things and long for them uh, and bring them to yourself, we pray. Amen.